15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, yeah. 4, yeah. 3, yeah. 2, Blast off on this space. Welcome back to Ducks on the Pond, the fourth edition of Zedia Network's official MLB podcast. Excited to tell you guys that we followed up our electric guest in David DeJesus with an equally electric guest in David Kaplan, longtime Chicago figure, ESPN Radio Chicago right now. So we'll get into that later. Hope you guys enjoy it. But for now, uh, let's get into leading off. Jack Perotti, take us away. All right. Yeah, we're going to start off with the the usual who's hot, who's not. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Giants right now. We're not going to talk about them too much. This is unfortunately not a Giants podcast, but they're 7-3 and three, their last 10. Last night they came they were down 5-2 against the Mariners, who have been very hot lately. Uh, Eddie will mention them soon, I'm sure. Uh, but they're back down 5-2, ended up winning late in the game, and they've just been a really resilient team, so I'm very happy about that. And uh, they, they just give me a feeling of the 2010 Giants where they're these underdogs, no one really knows them. They come out of nowhere and shock everybody. But there's my Giants talk for the day. <laughs> anyway, the who's hot, what team that I'm focusing on right now, it's the Philadelphia Phillies. They're 21-18, and 18, second in AL East. Game and a half back of Atlanta. They're seven and three in their last ten. They've really been rock solid since the trade deadline. I mean, their pitching's been still kind of shaky, which is weirdly what like you thought was going to improve after they got those relievers. But their hitting has kind of been finally backing JT Romito, who's been a star this year, by far the best catcher in baseball right now, if you ask me. Uh, yeah. I mean, one of those teams with their lineup can live up to that potential what they can get to, then they can beat anyone. I mean, you just saw Bryce Harper earlier this year was at an MVP caliber pace. He's been kind of slow now. But the, the bats have been really waking up lately, and that's been crucial for them. And, I mean, when you got guys like Nola and Wheeler in that pitching stuff, there is potential for them to be a dark horse team in the playoffs that can, if they're Absolutely. pitching, it's hot. I mean, at the right time, you never know what will happen. It's The pitching will be their Achilles heel this year, unfortunately, and I think in the playoffs that just doesn't work. But, I mean, right now they're, they're red hot, and they are the team that we thought they were going to be last year once they signed Harper and got Real Muto and Segura and all those guys. I think also they're kind of like a team that is really benefit benefiting with only having to play their division because you just have – division the NLEs chop full of 500 teams I mean you're playing the Nationals who have vastly underperformed you have the Mets the Marlins are good but the Phillies still compete against the Mets so um, I feel like I feel like if it was a normal season they had to play the whole league they get exposed more but in a division that's just a crapshoot the Phillies are good enough to take advantage and they have you know so the Phillies are solid. Um, I want to get into the Mariners for who's hot something I didn't think I would say Three weeks ago in week one. At all this year, especially for something positive. Right. And as you said, the Giants got him last night. It was a back and forth game, but I think the Mariners had gone into it winning like six in a row. They're 19 and 23, third in the AL West, two games back of the wild card right now. So they've suddenly got within striking distance. I mean, they were eight and 19 at one point, and now they are 19 and 23. They were the worst team in baseball, and now they have a chance. I think they're proving more than any team that they can compete this season and that any team can compete this season when there's only 60 games. The hitting's been still somewhat inconsistent, but this hot stretch is really about the starting pitching. Shout out for Collins, native. 
Marco Gonzalez, three quality starts in his last four outings. He was a guy two years ago that was really promising as a rookie, a little shaky last year. He's getting that command back, and he's really like their ace. And then they have Justice Sheffield, who was once a top prospect. He's kind of been a no-name, bounced around since. But he's really lit it up lately. Four out of his last five games, quality starts. I mean, they're just getting big innings from the starting rotation and winning games with five, four runs. Even – Justin Dunn's been great. Two runs over his last 18 inning pit, 18 innings pitch. But at the end of the day, other than Marco Gonzalez, I don't know if they can maintain this starting pitching for a couple more weeks, which is why you need more than Kyle Lewis, your right fielder, who's hitting 313, crushing the ball. But you need more than him and Seager stepping up in the offense. Because eventually, even if the pitching's still good, it's not going to be this good, especially if they actually do make a playoffs run. So you got to get the hitting going. I mean, they're like bottom five in the league in runs or something. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like they've been winning. I was looking at their games this year, and they've been winning games by like the skin of their teeth. So it's like, yeah. I mean, good for them. That's That shows a lot of resiliency. But at the same time, I, it's been weird this whole year with all those teams that have been, you know, supposed to be, freaking awful this year right now they're like kind of in the playoff picture because it's a weird year with 16 teams right look at those teams and it's like they'll have games like the tigers who are kind of in it right now they lost 19 to nothing today was it something like that got to the brewers like, 19 they'll, they'll have games where it shows it's like oh they like this is why people thought they're this terrible but then they're like also like the manuals will kick the crap out of the A's, and you're like what the hell is going on like it's a it's just such a weird year and it's so 2020 i kind of love it but that's baseball. So the flawed teams can kind of thrive more on this pedestal because each game means more. But yeah, like you said, it's like the Mariners starting pitching was terrible for three weeks to start the year. And yeah, they're probably a little better than that, but they're also not as good as they are right now. So it's like their pitching's doing great, but their hitting's not doing good right now. Like these are teams that are not going to completely put it together, which is why I think I don't know if the Mariners are going to end up pushing for that wild card. I personally don't think they will. They're super young. It would be cool to see. I mean, they're playing some inspired baseball. And if I were a Mariners fan, I would be proud for this stretch because I probably wouldn't have seen it coming when they're eight and 19. But in a three game series in the playoffs, if Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn are your second, third starters, if they actually get there, I just don't see how they would really make a run. Yeah, I don't think that's a very ideal situation right there. Yeah, exactly. Like, at the same time, them, but... you sold at the deadline. You're not expecting to do well this year. If you make a playoff experience, a playoff appearance, I mean, you're not going to complain. Like, that's sweet, you know? So Yeah. I think it's funny, too, because it may have been two years ago. I don't know if you remember tell me, but remember the Mariners started like 17 and four and they ended up being terrible. I think and the they, last two years they've started off yeah. stupid hot. And then like, which is so annoying for them because like their fans were probably like, okay, if we can just do this again through 20 games, like we're going to be a playoff game, playoff team. But of course, that doesn't happen when it really needs to. Yeah. But like, maybe now they're like, not a first 30 game like they were last, like the last two years, but maybe they're a second 30 this year. And then once they get in the playoffs, they'll lose like 14 to two. And then be like, ah, oh, it's the Mariners. Makes sense. We'll see. Shout out my buddy Cody out here in Colorado, because when the Mariners were like nine and 20, he made a ridiculous statement when we were out at a bar saying that the Mariners were one of the most exciting teams to watch. And we did not let him live it down. There was no logic based off the statement, but now they actually are exciting. So he's kind of got me right where he wants me. <laughs> you know what? The statements that have no logic is them are all, always the most fun, though. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was just like they were the most dull team at the time, getting blown out every game. And now they're winning games and almost won last night. We'll see how it goes. Um, I know you had another team on the list, Jack. Let's get into it. Yeah, it's another one of those kind of like we were talking about with the Mariners that beginning of the year, you wouldn't think we've seen a thing positive about them. But we talked about them before and we keep talking about them because they're just surprisingly good. And it's the Marlins. They're 19 and 18, third in the AL East. They're in the first wild card spot. So they're not even like the eighth, like they're the seventh team right now. Right. So that's pretty insane for them. I mean, they have this thing that's going around right now. I saw on Twitter today. It's uh, it's called like flip the M. So like the Marlins, like flip the M, turns to a W kind of thing, and that's like then they think they go in the outfield and they like get the M and they like turn it back up. Like the celebration is kind of fun. Yeah, um, but like they've been like we were saying a little bit ago too. Like their starting pitching has been surprisingly good this year, and they have this one guy, Sixto Sanchez. He's a rookie this year who's been unreal. He's been on the radar for a little bit. And people that have followed baseball have probably heard of him, but not really that much. He's been one of their top prospects, best pitching prospect for them. And his four yeah. career starts this year so far, he has a 1-8 ERA, a .92 whip, 25 Ks, and only two walks. Like, that, that, those are ridiculous numbers. That is absurd numbers that you're putting – like, once your four starts in, like, you're kind of, like, starting to get scouted a little bit, I feel like, by teams. They know what you do. But, like, this guy just pumps 100-plus as a nasty slider change-up combo, and he just hits corners. It's like, when, he's, when you're doing that – Literally, good luck getting a hit. Really. Yeah, no, he's nasty. And they got Pablo Lopez, who we mentioned before the yeah. show, along with that. I mean, that's two solid starters. I'm looking at the stats right now. Lopez and Sanchez have combined to start 10 games this year, and seven of those are quality starts between them. Lopez's ERA is at 305. He's a big strikeout guy. I mean, that's a team where if they can hold on and make the playoffs, like we were kind of alluding to before, if you play them in a three-game series and get those two guys the first games out – you don't want to play them. And I did – it took me a while to believe in the Marlins, but I was watching one of their games the other day, and they really do look inspired and in sync out there. And if you can keep the morale high like that, that's going to go a long way. Like, they believe they can win, and they're winning games. Dude, like, I was going to say, they're one of those teams – like, I have I didn't watch them at all at the beginning of the year, but I've watched them lately since they got Marte, just like – just yeah. highlights and they kind of tune in every once in a while. And they're just like one of those teams that – they don't have any huge big name guys really besides Starling Marte. And they're mm-hmm. just, they play so well together. And I think baseball more than anything is once you kind of believe in each other and believe in yourself as a team, you're like, Hey, we can get this done. And you have that morale in the locker room. That's just fun. And like, they are one of the teams that I've seen. that's the most like pepped up, like ready to roll, like most excited, excited, like not exciting to watch, but like excited players, like to play, like, they just love the game of baseball, and I think it's one of those teams, like, they've won this year, and it's a weird year, and they just believe in themselves. And, I mean, like, Starling Marte's been good, too, since he came there. Like, obviously, he's yeah. had two runs in the first week that he's been with Miami. His presence has looked very solid. Like, he's kind of just, like, he's rejuvenating a young team that's been, like, very, like, oddly good. With And there's just no real dudes to play up experience. Like, but they're just kind of figuring it out now. And I think Marte's kind of, like, not to say he's a veteran, but he's been, he's been around the block. Like, yeah, he just kind of, he, he's that experienced ball player that is like, hey, guys, like, we got a good culture here. Like, we know what we're doing. And, like, I, I'm telling you, like, they're they're much better than the record says, too, because, like, it's very weird. They're 2-9 and nine at home and 17-9 yeah. and nine on the road. Like, if they can get even up to, like, 500 or just below 500 ball, they're one of the best teams in the National League this year. Like, that's wild. 
Yeah, no, and like if, like you said, I think it also kind of goes down to the veteran presence. They have way more veterans than anyone talks about because none of them are big-name guys. But at the same time, you have Corey Dickerson, Brian Anderson, VR, Jesus Aguilar, Matt Joyce, Francisco Cervelli. These are guys who have had decent careers, are good enough to come up with big hits at big times, and they know how to build that culture, and they clearly have. You know, these are guys that could barrel down and say, look, it's 60 games. We've been around the block a few times. We can go out and win 30, and that's what we're seeing happening right now. Like, they just have, have maturity in that clubhouse. Yeah, and I think you see in the National League and American League, you're 500 or just above it, you're making the playoffs this year. And so yeah. when you have guys like that that you mentioned, they might not even be that productive. I don't know their stats off the top of my head. Maybe they're playing solid, but like they don't even have to be that productive of ball players. They just got to be guys in the clubhouse. They're like, Hey, I've been around the team. I've been around teams that have won teams that have lost. And I know what it takes And this team like has it. And I think that's what the Marlins are kind of like starting to kind of believe in themselves now, especially with, when they have that young pitching that's kind of stepping up too. Yeah. Let's get, into, let's get into who's not hot. We'll be sure to talk more about the Marlins later in our little gambling segment for sure. I got some plays there. But starting off, who's not, it's got to be the New York Yankees. They have plummeted injury-ridden to 21 and 21. They're third in the AL East, only half a, game's up, half a game up on the Orioles for the last wild card spot. They've lost five in a row and 15 of their last 20. Oof. They're barely holding on. And I have mixed emotions about it personally because – I was a guy that grew up hating the Yankees and wanted to watch them lose. But when that lineup is healthy, they were so fun to watch. It was hard not to root for them. So I found myself kind of rooting for them. And they also haven't won a World Series that recently. Like, they're not particularly – 10 obnoxious. years ago. Like, 11 years ago. That's true. But you know what I mean? It wasn't like two years ago where I'm, like, pissed off by the Yankees. But either way, I found myself rooting for them. But I'm also kind of rooting for them to fail because they were, like, what, second or third best odds in the AL to win the World Series? I think they were the, – I think it was them and the Dodgers or the yeah. two top in the MLB to win the World yeah, Series. Yeah, top in the MLB – um, yeah, so it, it's it's funny to see him fall off. We'll see what happens. I mean, at the end of the day, I know it's an excuse and Yankees fans will use it, but it still is because of the injuries. You went into the season hoping to rely on that lineup. Judge is still hurt. Stanton's still hurt. Although Judge is supposed to begin more aggression, aggressive progression of baseball activities this week, according to ESPN. Stanton's up to running 80%. A key pitcher in Paxson supposed to throw off a mound later this week. So we'll see it because they need those guys back as soon as possible. They obviously don't want to rush him back. They saw that last time with Judge what can happen. He got hit, hurt again in like two, three games. But, I mean, yeah, if they're going to hold on, they legitimately need these guys back because they are struggling mightily. Oh, extremely. I mean, I think Glaber is still out for them too. But, like, the thing yeah. them, like, beginning of the season, people were saying that lineup top to bottom is so stacked and that they have these guys – these depth players that can really help them out. And I think people are kind of realizing that even if you say that you are that deep, but if, if you're missing those top star players, Good you're going to struggle no matter what. Like, Yeah, it just looked deep at the end of the day. Like, it's four guys. It's not nine deep, and they're all down. And look what the offense is doing. It's doing nothing. <laughs> it's, it's awful. I mean, at the same time, their starting pitching has not been – I mean, Garrett Cole is, is Garrett Cole. Yeah. But like – as him, they, they the starting pitching has just not been there. You know, it's not it's not bad, but at the same time, it's not at the caliber you need for a team to be like that's a team that can win the World Series for even, sure, even when their lineup's fully healthy. 
Yeah, and I feel like when you take Judge and Stanton and Glaber out of the lineup, they just automatically lose kind of that Bronx bomber swagger. Like, other players definitely fed off that because they were a feared team with that lineup fully healthy. Pitchers probably are motivated off that too. You know, it's just like when all those guys got down and they lost a few games, you feel like the thought kind of crept into their head. They lost that kind of edge to them, you know? People aren't afraid of the Yankees right now, and it's working out for the other teams. Yeah, if you think about it, if you're guys like Luke Boyd or DJ LeMahieu, or guys that might not be those top tier of the lineup players. Yeah. They're going to be the guy. Like, when you have those star players in the lineup, they're going to be the guys that are getting more pitches in the zone, and the pitchers are going to attack them more because they're afraid of the other guys in the lineup. Right. When you're the, when you're the guy in the lineup, you're going to be getting the nastiest stuff from every pitcher. So, I mean, I'm surprised that they've lost eight out of their last 10 and 15 last 20. I am too. I'm it kind of makes sense. Like, like any team that's riddled by these star player injuries is going to go through that. It's true. Because of what you just said, like there's more ripple effect than people would think. And also like now these hitters, like Luke Voigt, who you mentioned, who can hit without the pressure of the pitching staff focusing on them just from the mental standpoint. Like now they have to go in there and be the guy and feel like they have to reduce when usually like Stanton and judges hogging the spotlight. So it doesn't matter either way. So it's just like the mindset is completely shifted. And I think a lot of these players are going through something they're not used to with so many guys down and injured. Luckily they do have LeMahieu, but I mean, that's one guy you need, you need this full arsenal. Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, another team, I, don't, I guess I wouldn't say they're not hot, but they were a team that's kind of like the the Mar- – they're another ALE team. That's why it's kind of coming up. But it's kind of like the Marlins and the Mariners where, you know, they had to start making a push. And they're 6-4 and four in the last times, the Orioles. They're 20-21. and 21. They're only a game back of the Yankees for that final wild card spot. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this is the time where you got to step it up win eight out of 10, seven out of 10 right. right now, because you have to take advantage of how hot you're going to get. And if six and four in your 10 last 10 is how hot you're going to get, that's just not going to do it right now, especially in the ALEs when you're playing those teams. So, I mean, the Orioles, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say they're not hot. I guess I don't know why I have that much on the not hot list, but I mean, they have these guys on their team that's carrying them. Like you got Pedro Severino, their catcher who's hitting three, 25, 921 OPS, 21 ribbies, Renato Nunez, 10 homers, 23 RBIs, and Hanser Alberto, their second baseman, is in 308. Like, they have some some dudes in the middle of that lineup that have proved so far this year that they are guys. But, like, I mean, I, yeah, it's – I like I said again, like, it's – I don't know if it's fair to say they're not hot, but they're not getting hot enough to make yeah. the playoffs right now. And, and the Orioles hitters, like you said, like, they're a pleasant surprise. And I actually, like – I trust that production. Like, those guys seem like they're here to stay, but I just can't look at an Orioles box score or a preview every day and, like, trust pitchers to go out and consistently get it done when they need to. Sure. I think the Orioles will implode at some point or at least fall out of the playoffs, and it'll be because of that pitching. Um, I'm pretty sure they also have a big series coming up against the Yankees this weekend. Orioles are winning late. Yankees are winning late right now. Yeah. I think that either starts tomorrow or Friday, so – it would be awesome to see the Orioles go out and get it done, but we'll see. Yeah, I, like like you were saying, dude, though, their pitching is just god-awful. It's, like, so much room to be desired. But, like, I, it's it's weird because they have, like, a guy like John Means last year who was actually very, very productive. But you look at the rest of that pitching staff, I think they had one guy whose ERA is under four. Yeah. And the rest, I saw it's, like, five, it's like seven, six, yeah. eight. Like, guys. Yeah. 
It's just awful. It looks like it's like that's what it is every day when you check who's pitching for the Orioles. And I don't watch the Orioles enough, understandably, but I don't watch them enough to understand like how they're winning games with those pitchers going out like three of every five days. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 very very hard to win games when your pitchers are giving up six yeah. seven runs a game. You know, exactly. It's just I'm surprised that they've won twenty to this point, but I think the whole country is rooting for the Orioles, and in my opinion. They have the sweetest jerseys in the country right next to the Colorado Rockies, our next team. Okay, hold on. Do you think the Rockies have one of the sweetest jerseys in baseball? I'm a purple guy. I think the purple and black ones are sick. The old ones, man, when they wore the black sleeveless vests. Those were sweet. Those were so sweet. That was like Todd Helton there. Those were so dope. But the Rock, I, I, come on, they're okay. I like their pinstripes. They're fine. The the purples are dope. I, I like purple, but like, yeah. Let's take it easy with that statement, real quick. I think it's the color combo more than anything. Uh, the or uh, the Orioles, I like a lot too. Like the bird is a fresh logo. The orange oh. and black, like it pops, dude. Oh yeah, it does. It's a great. It's a great uni. Yeah. But on the Rockies, I personally, at the beginning of the season, have talked about this multiple times, how I thought the six-game season boded them well. They could make it before the pitching completely implodes. And right now, I am being proven wrong on that statement. Specifically, the pen is killing them right now. Uh, since losing 23-5, to to make sure they're starting pitching in the bullpen, but you really have only one reliable reliever in Almonte you can trust in that pen. Everyone else is terrible. Since they lost to your Giants 23-5, they've allowed at least seven runs in five of six games. I mean, they're just not pitching, and that lineup is still producing, which is the most frustrating things that Rockies fans are all too familiar with. I mean, they got pummeled 13-5 to the Padres last night after going up 3-0 in the first. Like, immediately let up five in the bottom of the first. They're 20-22 and right now. They've lost six of ten. But the pitching is just getting worse, and the hitting has been consistently good. So the Rockies are trending in the wrong direction. I'm expecting that to continue because they're just hopeless on the mound right now. Yeah, I was going to say, once you lose 23-5, to that just demoralizes the team, especially to a team that you're kind of in that wild card race with. So that's that's tough to kind of bounce back from, especially when you know that your weakness of the team is pitching. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is, like, the starters have – been decent like Sensatella has a 330 ERA Freeland has a 360 ERA Marquez if anyone's underperformed he's like supposed to be a racer number two his ERA is at 460 but the problem is despite the solid numbers these guys are laboring and they're only getting through four or five innings the plan was to have these guys go seven eight innings more often so you don't have to rely on that whole pen every day but they're throwing the bullpen in for four innings of a game and they just have no chance of holding on yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. So, the Rockies are screwed. Sorry to all my Colorado friends. Um, let's get into all-in real quick. Jack, kick us off. All right. We got – it's it's going to be a pretty straightforward Friday for you guys real quick. Yeah. Um, we're going Indians first half money line. Guess who's on the bump? Shane Bieber, of course. And you know what we are at this podcast. You've been listening. We bet on Shane Bieber, Indians first half. Every time he's pitching, it doesn't matter who he's playing. I don't care that he's playing a red-hot Twins team who have been hitting the cover off the ball. We're betting Indians first half money line. The Indians have been hitting the ball well lately, too. It's just Shane Bieber. He's by far the best pitcher in baseball this year, too, and it's not even close. And, like, if you guys go back to episode one, if you haven't listened to that yet, Alec Lewis, who covers the Royals, has seen a lot of Shane Bieber over the last couple of years. And he says even if the Royals aren't playing him, He's tuned into Shane Bieber. He's going to watch him because the guy's just so electric. So 
it's hard to bet against him. You can't bet against him. I think it's impossible not to bet for him. So, Yeah, I'll do it with Shane Bieber on the mound, but I am a little disappointed in the Indians because I have a big parlay today, two get five teams – Two have yet to start. Two are in great shape. And the Indians with Carrasco on the mound at home versus the Royals. Granted, Danny Duffy's not bad. But still, you lose one nothing. That's like the only fear in betting on Carrasco is they lose one nothing. Actually, the Royals happen to put up two more in the ninth. So, yeah, the Indians lost 3-0, lost my 9-1 odds parlay. But, yeah, I'm trusting them with Shane Bieber on the mound, too, for sure, Perotti. Um. All right, let's get into Saturday. I got two picks for you guys. I couldn't decide between them, so I'll give you both. First off, I like Philly's money line over the Marlins on the road. So in Miami, and if you remember earlier, Perotti mentioned how the Marlins are, what, 2-9 and nine at home. But they're 19-18 and 18 right now. They'll get decently close to even odds, if not maybe favored. So I like the Phillies. They have Zach Wheeler on the mound, 4-0, 247 ERA. They win with him on the mound regardless if he gets a no decision. He was great against the Marlins last time out. Seven innings pitch, one and run. He's been rolling like five consecutive quality starts. I'm going on the Phillies here. And my other one, uh, Red Sox, who have undecided a pitcher against the Rays in Tampa. I'm taking the over. I'm hammering the over. over. First off, the Red Sox have the worst pitching in baseball by a long shot statistically and they haven't laid out a pitcher yet. Glasnow had two good starts, but he was shaky again, labored last time out. He lets up runs even when he's doing well this year. The Rays are a decent offense, but they're much better at home. They're versus the worst pitching staff in baseball, plus the Red Sox should put up runs. You got to hammer the over there. Love that. Love that. That, That's that's a recipe for a nice over. Baseball overs are interesting because I always feel like – Pitching yeah. like wins, but uh, maybe not with Glass now and the whole Red Sox pitching staff. Rockies games overs, man. Once there's like a run in the first, I will just consistently live bet the over in the game, and it almost works every time. Oh. They're like the only team you can do that with. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got uh, just moving on. We got Sunday. I, got, I mean, I'm very boring with my picks this week, so I apologize, but it's just the best one for the days. I like another Indians first half oh, money man. line. You got rookie flamethrower Tristan McKenzie on the bump for Cleveland. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're playing against the Twins again. I don't know who's pitching for the Twins yet. It's undecided. But he's 2 0, 257 ERA so far. He's got this nasty cutter slider combo that just you can't really see out of his hand. He's just another fun young arm in Cleveland that I feel like they have just freaking loads of them in their farm system it's wild what they've been able to do but their line is fine starting to click and hit and turn into that kind of beast that we've seen over the last half decade that lineup is just so 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 loaded top to bottom when it gets going so that's i mean that's it's not it's one of those i'm not overthinking it too much just yeah first i like that yeah, the, the Indians have been good to me betting-wise this year, too, disregarding today. So I like that. I'm taking everything we take. Finally, we got our suicide squeeze parlay of the weekend. It is a Sunday parlay, three-team money line. Nationals over the Braves at home with Scherzer on the bump. Really all you need to know there against Kyle Wright of Atlanta. Has only pitched a few times, but ZRA is over eight. The Braves have honestly not been playing great lately. I don't have any stake in the Nationals anymore as far as seeing them win games, but I think this is a game they win. They got to win sometimes. Uh, then Yankees, they got to get off the stride eventually. They're pitching Hap at home versus the O's. I think the Yankees come away with this series because they do really need it. So we got Nats and Yankees money line so far on Sunday. And then 
The Rangers with Lance Lynn at home versus Oakland, who's pitching Montez. Odds should be pretty solid because even though Lynn is pitching, Texas is terrible. They have like 10 wins. Uh, but if you're going to win, it's with Lynn on the mound. He's still been great throughout all this. So, yeah, Nats, Yankees, Rangers, Moneyline Sunday Parlay. And that is it for our all-in segment. Finally, before we wrap up, Parodi, let's get into Park of the Week. Who we got? We got guaranteed rate oh. outside of Chicago on 35th Street, baby. Brutal. I okay. You say brutal. I've been there one time, and it was for it was for a random game against the Angels last year. It was a little overcast. I got tickets the day before, and it was I got twelfth row, seventeen bucks. They got great food there. They you do. can get even if you're not buying seats that are low, you can buy nosebleeds and just move up because they're they don't have any one of the games. You can move up to like as close as you can possibly get for five bucks. Right. I mean, it's honestly I love Wrigley. But we're just going what's, like, nice. I think guaranteed rate is a nicer park. But Wrigley's just better because of, you know, the atmosphere in Wrigleyville and everything. But, but, but I think guaranteed rate's a nice park. I like it. I'm, I, I'm a fan. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there's nothing beating the atmosphere outside the stadium. Also inside the historic atmosphere and everything. The bleacher bums. But – I mean, I don't hate guaranteed rate field. I personally think there is nothing special about the stadium itself, but it's nice to go to a game for cheap, have good food. Like you said, if you've tried that Mexican corn thing, I forgot what it's called. You know, oh, it's, dude, it's the, um, it's fucking bomb. Like they have good food. Yeah, dude. Like tailgating is a game changer. Like that is the one thing I wish I could do outside Wrigley and you can get cheap tickets and just go see a baseball game, which I've done a ton and just gone and rooted for the other teams. There's a time we went to a Brewers Sox game. We sat on the Brewers dugout talking shit to them, but I was still, I was still rooting for the Brewers, but we got like a $10 seat and literally moved up to the first row on a Wednesday night in the summer. Like that is nice. So I'm fine with the stadium. Yeah. It reminds me exactly of like, Growing up for me, like being a Giants fan, but I live closer to the A's stadium. So you, we'd always go to A's games. I have buddies that are A's fans, but like I'd always root against the A's unless they're playing like, I don't know, like I'd re- basically root against the A's almost every time. But you get yeah. super cheap tickets. They have like $2 hot dog nights and stuff like that. $2 beers, like and stuff when you're, you know, of age in quotes uh but it's like it's like one of those it's like so cheap but it's fun like it's a good atmosphere kind of when you're just trying to like watch baseball and get a good seat to a game it's not the best if you're trying to like hang out and like enjoy the atmosphere like a lot of games but it's a it's if you're just like a baseball fan stuff like guaranteed rate is like it's it's a good park to go to because you can get really close and actually like see the players and experience something cool yeah, I agree. I think, like, the big factor, the kind of underlying factor that bugs me about, like, saying that I like guaranteed rate is the typical argument all Sox fans have that it's like, oh, we actually have cheap seats. Like, yours are too much. I'm like, dude, there are no big market teams in the country that have consistently cheap tickets as the Cubs, except the Braves who have consistently won games. And for some reason don't fill up their stadium, I guess the Rays recently, but the Braves historically, but it's like when you're a big market team and you've been good, especially recently, that's no such thing. There's no cheap ticket. Like there should be for the Sox and there should be for the, like there shouldn't be for the Cubs. That's why they're in different markets, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Like, now that you mentioned like that, I've never thought about it like that. It pisses me off so much, dude. They're, they're the biggest market team, 
I mean, what, Chicago's probably the second, probably third biggest market in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> Get chick, chick, tickets for, like, the skin off of your freaking – like, it's so cheap. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like the like, – if that's what they're saying is better about guaranteed rate, all right, well, you're paying for the experience when you go to baseball games, and the experience there is not remotely close if you go, like, 20 minutes north. People travel across the country to see Wrigley Field once. It's a bucket list thing. It makes sense that every game is expensive. Also, look at the attendance numbers. They still consistently sell out even when they're bad. Like, it makes sense. So, when Sox fans say that, it's always bugged me. It's like they're talking about it like it's uncontrollable and, like, Wrigley's just greedy. But it's just like, dude, that's how it fucking works. Also, what the fuck are those stupid-ass lollipop thingies they have? What the fuck with that? I hate those, dude. I fucking hate those. They're so ugly. Dude, they're awful. Like, I was trying to look up, like, okay, what's the reason they have? There must be some deep-rooted, like, thing with the team, and there's none. It's literally just, like, the guy that, like, made, like, all these, like, very uh, unique things in different stadiums. Like, I I don't – I don't know what it was, but, like, different different things that a lot of stadiums kind of have that are unique to them and that people yeah. – with the team. Like, he was like, oh, this will be, like, the Sox thing. But, like, Don't <laughs> you look at it now, it's like, it's a joke. It's like a joke of a thing that's the Sox team. Yeah. No, no one cares. It's true. Like, you want a good way to differentiate your stadium, but that just doesn't catch anyone's eyes positively. Like, Kauffman Stadium, the Royals, you have the Fountains. Cubs, you have the Ivy, honestly. Even the Marlins have those dolphin statue weird things. They took, Marlins that, out. They took that out this year. Did they? Yeah. It's just, like, instead, where that was – they put it in, like, a really cool, like, club where you can just, like, get a bunch of booze and hang out, basically. I guess those were ugly. But my point is, like, no one is leaving the Sox Stadium and talking about those weird things. You like, know it's, what yeah. irks me about that damn stadium, too? When they built it, when they tore down Comiskey, they were like, all right, let's see. We could either base it towards, like, freaking West Chicago where it's faced. Or, <laughs> or here's a thought. Face it towards goddamn Chicago skyline. Why don't you do that? I'm like, oh, my God. What is up with the engineers? I don't care how the sun comes in, whatever. If you can face a stadium where you're sitting in any seat in the upper deck and you can clearly see the Chicago skyline is objectively one of the most beautiful ones in the entire country, why the fuck don't you do it? That's what's always irked me about. I'm like, how do you not think of that? It's also called Guaranteed Rate Field. And and I love how we actually planned on mainly talking positives, and now we're just both ripping on it. <laughs> it yeah, like, I was coming into this, I'm like, you know what, like, I kind of like Guaranteed Rate, but then there's, like, so many things about it that just, like, irk me a little bit, like the goddamn lollipop. Yeah, it's easy. And then, the like I just said, like, the thing where, how do you, if you're the guy that's going to build the new stadium, you got to face it towards the skyline. you got to do it. Yeah, and they deserve all the crap they get for that. That's one of the biggest design flaws off the top of my head in MLB Stadium history. I yeah. mean, it, it's got to be. Like, come on, man. Yeah, and you, you realize that, and you like, Bill, you're like, shit, like, we didn't do that. But, you know, we're going to have – we're going to have a cool little sign outside of it that has Chicago in the White Sox font where people can take pictures. How about I t- take a picture from my seat – of the game and the freaking, like, skyline. That would be dope, right? Yeah, dude. Like, imagine if Pittsburgh just faced their stadium, beautiful park, by the way, away from the Allegheny River and that giant bridge in just the complete opposite direction, like, toward the freeway. Like, that's what this is. It's just (laughs) awful. It's like Oracle Park with San Francisco. 
they're like, all right, they were going to phase it towards the San Francisco skyline, but like the way that the sun comes in and all this stuff and like with like the breeze, whatever it was, they're like, we can't do it, but we'll face it towards the Bay Bridge. So it's still a beautiful view. That's like baseball stadiums are the only things in the country sports-wise besides like golf courses that you can have those type of sceneries. Like For sure. Completely agree. Let, let, I think it's a good time to segue into our next stuff because we talk a lot of Chicago with David Kaplan. So with that in mind, um, let's get under interview. But beforehand, be sure to check out the Zedia Network shop. Still working on some more Ducks on the Pond merch. And the new football gambling show coming out tomorrow on ZD Network. Parody, I think you started in that, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm a part of it. Me, uh, our our owner, CEO, he's our same age. I'm not going to give him that clout. Fuck you, Zoltan. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're a part of it. It's pretty fun. Joey Lane, who was a part of the Ohio State basketball team, we're just talking shop. It's a good time. We, we got some good picks for you on that. It's I think it's only available on YouTube, I want to say. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it, it's – it's pretty damn funny. He's got some good picks on it for football coming up. So you guys got to be sure to check that out. But for the meantime, you guys are going to love this interview with David Kaplan. He's got some of the most interesting stories that I've heard from Great. just even a, not even a Chicago sports fan perspective, but a sports fan in general. So you guys will love it. His enthusiasm is contagious. You'll be smiling when you're listening. And so enjoy the interview. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ducks on the pond, I believe is our handle. Um, so yeah, enjoy the interview with David Kaplan, guys. And now we are welcoming David Kaplan of ESPN Chicago, has a daily morning radio show on ESPN Chicago, to Ducks on the Pond. David, thanks for being here. Hey, it's an honor to be on Ducks on the Pond. I like the name of the show, and I'm thrilled to be with you guys. Absolutely. I mean, me being from the Chicago area, you've been a long-time radio TV personality I followed, so... Absolute pleasure for you to be here. Um, just right off the bat, we want to ask you kind of your take on the state of the Cubs right now. I mean, I'm seeing two popular opinions out there, one glass half full, one glass half empty, one that's kind of like, well, the Cubs are in first place with a shaky bullpen, the core contributors, Javi Rizzo, KB, not doing anything. So when they turn it up, Cubs should roll. Or the other sense, is this kind of just the reality of the Cubs this year? Yeah, I'm – this is the reality of the Cubs because if yeah. we go back to the latter portion of 17, the latter portion of 18, all of 19, this is who they are, man. I mean, at some point we have to be willing to admit that 2016 might have been an outlier. Absolutely. And 2017, 18, especially 18, 19, they're not a very good offensive team. There will be days and maybe it'll be tonight where they'll bludgeon a good pitcher and be like, wow, they got nine runs off Trevor Bauer. And then the next day I'm pitching and they get one run. It's, it's mystifying, but at some point they're going to have to blow this thing up. And I'm not saying they got to be a hundred lost team. I yeah. think they waited too long and stayed too loyal to their core. I agree. Do you think that's kind of doing part to like, a lot of Cubs fans, I feel like right now, have that false sense of hope or security because it's such a shortened season. Do you think if it was 162 games that this kind of trend they've been on right now will continue and they just straight out miss the playoffs in general? Um, or you could go the other way and go, well, look, anybody has a bad two months and Javi Baez might have ended up being a 285 hitter with 32 bombs and 103 knocked in or right. Rizzo or Bright. The one that's most concerning for me is not Javi. It's not Rizzo. Contreras was really hot last week. Ian Happ's been a great – it's Chris Bryant. 
he had a great 15, 16, and even 17. If you look at his numbers analytically, he had as good a year as he had when he was MVP. It just wasn't in, you know, the spots where they won a World Series. But in 18, in 19, this year, his bat just looks feeble. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, he dribbled one into center field or he got a little flare to right or he drove one down the line. I just don't see the guy that I saw in 2015 and 16 and the guy I watched in the minor leagues where that ball was exploding off his bat. I don't yeah. know why. I don't know if he's not healthy, but something's going on because he looks terrible. The swing hasn't looked good for sure. I mean, he hasn't sniffed a 200 batting average the whole year. Just with that in mind, I mean, I knew you mentioned the Cubs need to blow this up a little. Would it be in their best interest to keep Javi or keep Brian, or do you think they can and will keep both? There's no chance they keep both unless yeah. financially it works because, you know, they can say Chris can come to all the press conferences he wants and go, I don't know where – these talks about me getting an extension are from or where David Kaplan got that, I can tell you with not 99%, with 100% certainty, 100% that they went to him after the World Series and offered him a massive extension. And right. his agent, Scott Boris, they said, no, thank you. That's their right. And he was betting on himself. And he has an agent who's notorious for taking his guys to free agency. For sure. Well, guess what? I don't know if I can curse on your podcast, but feel free. Shit happens. Shit no happens. Saw a global pandemic coming, but shit happens in the world. And all of a sudden, the two hundred million dollar offer. When you think, well, if we keep playing at this level, I'll get four hundred million. Two hundred million isn't there. I can promise you, there is zero chance the Cubs are giving that guy guaranteed two hundred million dollars. The world's a different place today. Right. So. I, Look, I love Chris as a guy. He's a wonderful person, and he's a good baseball player. Is he? Oh, my God. That's Mike Trout. That's Mookie Betts. That's Francisco Lindor. I don't think he is. I think he's no a top 40 player in Major League Baseball. He's a solid defender. He's not elite with his glove. I don't know where the power has gone in his game, and we can keep saying, well, he was hitting near – at the top of the order, so there weren't as many guys on. Somehow, some way, the great players find a way to drive in runs, and I'm not seeing that from him. Yeah, I agree. I think it's about time people have to accept, like you said, he's a good player, not a great player. I mean, 2016, he's being compared to Nolan Arenado and wins the MVP over Nolan Arenado. And just with that in mind, you can see how much he's dropped off. Like, he is nowhere near the realm of a third baseman offensively and defensively as Nolan Arenado. So I definitely agree. Yeah, he, Nolan Arenado, and some people will go, well, away from Coors, he's this or he's that. He's a gold glove third baseman. Yeah. He is – everyone I've asked who works around the Colorado Rockies has said, that guy is a gamer. He right. is – tape it up and let's find a way to win a baseball game where, look, Chris has whatever it is, my knee today, my finger in 2017 – and I'm sure there are legitimate injuries. I'm not accusing him of not playing with a legitimate injury. I'm just telling you, some guys, it seems like they've always got something. And other guys, I don't know how he got on the field, right. but he found a way. Right. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like – I mean, he's got that dog mentality, like you are saying, with like how Nolan Arenado's got that. Bingo. Dog <laughs> mentality is a great way to put it. 
Yeah, I feel like baseball, you don't think about how many guys, you know, it's not a sport you think like in basketball you need a dog and football. But like baseball is as much mental, if not more mental than any other sport. And that mentality is a huge part of, I, honestly, probably the reason why he hasn't gotten back to that MVP status that he was. Yeah, again, he, they took him at number two. He was rookie of the year. He was MVP. He won a World Series. And even 17, as I said, I thought he was a good player. 18, 19, and 20, I mean, if you were the general manager, if Tom Ricketts picked you, and one of you two guys is running the team now, and he said, we can't sign everybody, but I'll give you the money to sign, you know, extend Rizzo so he retires a Cub, and then you got to pick one of the others. I, I can tell you, for me, it wouldn't be Chris Bryant. He would be yeah. – uh, he would not be the top of the list for me. I think it's an easy choice to go straight for Javi Baez. Just especially, yeah. obviously he's slumping this year, but the way that he plays in the field, he's always going to have that for however long he's playing. So that's why I feel like you got to pick him over Brian or Contreras or something. Yep, I completely agree with you. I'm curious if you think, because I read a little bit about it, how like Javi, a guy like Javi or even Wilson Contreras, who clearly fired up guys who feed off crowd energy, do you think their slow starts at all have anything to do with no fans being there? Obviously, it's not an excuse, but I feel like for players like that, having no fans in attendance, especially at Wrigley, kind of means more than it does for the next guy. Yeah, maybe, but in the end, every team in baseball is playing under the same rules. Right. And, you know, I heard Javi say, you know, it sucks. The Astros cheated. We didn't cheat, and we can't go watch video of my at-bats. And, again, I have a routine when I get up every morning that prepares me to go do my shows. And if you said all of a sudden, hey, guess what? You can't look at a computer today. Whoa, how am I supposed to get all my – I get it. But in right. the end – Every major league player is playing by the same rules. And at some point, you either win or you lose. You got to find a way. You might say, this sucks that I can't go see my at-bats, but I got to find a way. And that's my thing. I said, everybody knows the rules. You wake up in the morning, you find a way to win a baseball game. You may win it one nothing against some crappy minor league pitcher that got to start and go, well, we found a way. And you may bludgeon Trevor Bauer and beat him 15-1, to Somehow, some way, you got to wake up and find a way. And Javi's not doing that right now, for sure. Hundred percent. I mean, I was just curious, you know, with this year and everything. I know it's obviously a weird year, like we were saying too. But what what's your what's your kind of opinion on how David Ross has been in his first year ever as a MLB manager, a manager of any sort? Yeah, I, I got to give him a lot of credit. I think he's done a really good job, from what I've been told by guys I trust in that clubhouse. He holds guys accountable. He just doesn't let us know about it. You know, the days of, and you guys are too young, but when Mike Ditka coached and he grabbed Jim Harbaugh by the face mask or he'd go to the press conference and blast about, our left tackle was horrible. Like, that stuff doesn't play today. That's old school. Like, when I was coming up and I was, I was a college coach, you could do anything you wanted. You could get away with running guys at four o'clock in the morning because you caught them out in the bar. Then that stuff doesn't play today. You have to relate to your players and you got to have their back. Ozzie Guillen, who I love, he's a dear friend. You can't throw your guys under the bus and then back the bus up over them. You could back in the day. So I, from what I hear, David's doing an amazing job. I didn't know you were a college coach. Where did you coach? So I was the basketball coach at Northern Illinois from 82 to 86. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. So it was really Go Huskies. Cool. 
Go Huskies. Just, you know, speaking about some of the bright spots about the Cubs right now, before we move on, Ian Happ emerging as a star, hitting 304 this year. I've been waiting for him to fall off all year. It hasn't happened. Just what's going right for Ian at the plate this year compared to other years? And did you expect him to break out like he has? Not to the level where he has, as we're all taping this, as I'm yeah. talking to Eddie and Jack, he's got the number one OPS in baseball. Right. Number one. Yeah. And if you take him just in the leadoff spot, he's number one. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, I really like him. I think he's a gritty, tough guy who he was born to be a baseball player. Like, that's what Ian Happ is. And he loves the game and he lives the game. And I thought he'd be a good player. I never thought he'd be this guy to the yeah. point where, like I'm going to say on the air tomorrow, Theo needs to go to his agent right now and go, you know what? I know we're in COVID. I know we don't know our revenue, but why don't we find a middle ground here and let's sign an extension right now? And 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, the, the guy's been unreal this year. I mean, he's – him and Hayward single-handedly really – I mean, along with, you know, Darvish and Hendricks are – making up for the lack of that offense that's usually there for the Cubs. Yeah. And, you know, who thought – I love the U Darvish signing because doing the pre-post for as long as I did, I saw Jake Arrieta and I could see it trending. Like, right. Velocity starts to lose a little bit. The slider isn't quite as sharp on its bite. And then Darvish comes and makes me look like an idiot because <laughs> – he had this awful 2018. All of a sudden, he gets healthy. He starts to find his way. And then if you go back to All-Star break last year to where he is today, he's the best pitcher in the game over that time span. Mm -hmm. For sure. Definitely in the race for the NL Cy Young. It's awesome to see. I've always been a Darvish well, supporter, too. I don't know if you guys know, Max Fried went on the injured list today. Okay. Yeah. And that was probably his main competition. So Max Free to the injured list basically knocks him out. He's gone for at least 10 days. He's got a back issue, so they're you know, going to not have him around. And we've only got, what, two and a half weeks left of the season? That's correct. Right. If you doesn't go out and you know, have some clunker where he gives up six runs, I think he's going to win the Cy Young. It, yeah. Yeah. It's safe to assume you'd think he would. I, it was pretty close a couple weeks ago, and Trevor Bauer was you know sub-1 ERA, but he's kind of – Fallen off a little the last couple of weeks, and you's just been stellar. He is what's he had one bad start probably this entire year, if that. Seven eight wins the already. Start of the season, and he wasn't horrible. He just didn't have great command, so they lost to the Brewers. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, just speaking about the rotation a little bit, obviously you and Hendricks have been rocks at the front end there, but you know, assuming Q and Chatwood get healthy. What's kind of your ideal rotation for the Cubs, would you say? And who do you believe will be the odd one out and have to land in the pen for them if everyone gets healthy? Um, well, we mentioned the first two guys, and then you got yeah. Chatwood, you got Alzali, you've got Quintana, yes. you've got Lester. Look, I love John Lester. He goes down as one of the great signings in the history of Chicago sports as a free agent. In fact, Absolutely. it'll be him or Marion Hosa would probably be the top two of players. I'm not talking about – like Theo coming here or right. Kerry coming to the cup, whatever. On-field performance, it's either Marion Hosa or it's John Lester, but he looks awful right now. He doesn't yeah. have, you know, that dog in him where, hey, man, I got to make a big pitch in a big spot and I'm going to make it. It looks like he's pitching kind of 
oh, I'm hoping I don't get hit here. And that's not the John Lester that you know, we all fell in love with. But I still can't not hand him the ball in a playoff game. Yeah, you can't put him in the bullpen, too, at this point. Agreed. Now, Chatwood has great stuff, lousy command. Mm-hmm. Quintana has good command, just mediocre stuff. You know, I always made the joke when they traded for him. I didn't like the trade the day before they made it when it was rumored. I didn't like the trade when they made it. And I think today it goes down as a horrific trade. Absolutely. Uh, Jose Quintana, to me, and this is what I said back then, so this is not revisionist history, Jose Quintana is like a really nice Buick Regal. You You could drive it to the mall. It gets your packages home. But you don't pull up to the country club and everyone goes, who's that dude? In the Lamborghini. Oh, my God. (laughs) See that guy? It's just, yeah, that's the guy in the Buick Regal. It's all right. That's the gentleman. (laughs) But you paid Lamborghini prices when you give up your number one and number two prospects in Jimenez and Dylan Cease. Right. That was my problem with the deal. If he was available in free agency and you wanted to give him whatever money it costs, go get him. A couple mid-level prospects, go get him. But my, my two best assets in my farm system, and that's what I got, Aided it from the day it was rumored to today. Speaking of the Sox, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't speak about them a little bit when we got a little Chicago analyst with us. I mean, I think they're probably – I know everyone talks about Slam Diego and whatnot. I think they're the most exciting team to watch in baseball this year. I mean, I feel like everyone was kind of talking about them, but did you see this kind of success and home run hitting and the pitching to kind of figure itself out the way that it has? Uh, I knew they were going to be good because – I got a chance to watch Luis Robert play, and that guy's a monster. Monster. And it's going to take time, and he'll develop, and he'll be an even better player. I'm just telling you, man, they've got offense. I'm concerned that they rely at this point too much on the home run. And who's their number three starter? Is Dylan Cease going to really be able to take the ball in a playoff game in Minnesota or wherever, Tampa Bay? Yeah. Give you six, yeah. seven innings. It, it helps that there's no fans, but, I mean, that that's really tough because I feel like he's been so inconsistent this year. When he's on, he's been on, but when he's off, it just has not been there. Yeah, he, I, he nibbles too much for me for a guy who has a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and a Justin Verlander-like curveball. There's too much nibbling at the corners. Hey, man, here's 99, and then I'm going to throw a filthy breaking ball or a slider. Good luck trying to hit it. It's – nibble here, nibble there, and all of a sudden he's walked the guy. Now he goes 2-1. So I got to come in with a fastball, and bam! Major league hitters can hit heat. You've got to command the strike zone. And if they stop hitting home runs like they are now in the playoffs, that's when you're in trouble and it really goes down to the pitching. Correct. For sure. Exactly right. They're obviously still overall one of the most positive surprises in baseball right now. Just looking at the whole league, just what teams have kind of disappointed you most this year? Uh, I thought the Reds would be better. I did. Mm -hmm. Now, it usually seems like the team that spends the most money in the offseason, especially on veteran players, like the Sox have grown this organically, this young core like the Cubs did, like the Astros did. When you go out and get Mike Moustakis for 60-some million and Nick Castellanos for 50-some million and you start adding these older guys – it doesn't usually work out, yeah. but there's more talent on that team. That's a better team than they've shown. Now, they're in Chicago as we're taping tonight. Mm-hmm. They'll start a three-game set with the Cubs, and they very easily could win those games. They're a good right. football team. They just haven't played well. So they're wildly disappointing to me. And then the Yankees, 
but they've been just crushed by injury and COVID. Right. The Yankees right now are only like a game up for that last wild card, which is crazy to see because well, going to the year, like that Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, yeah, over the Orioles. Right. Yeah, the injuries, like you said, for sure. Um, going back to Chicago for a second, you know, we talked about some of the young stars in Chicago on the south side. Just who's a player that you think will become a household name in the city in like five years from now that maybe isn't yet? <laughs> Is he already in the big leagues or he could be in the minor leagues? Either one. Um, the Cubs have an outfielder by the name of Brennan Davis, mm. who's going to be a really, really good player. I think he's 21 years of age, maybe 22. He's not okay. far away. They've got a pitcher that throws 100. Can he stay healthy? He's a left-hander named Braylon Marquez. Yep. He's a top 100 prospect. Uh, I would tell you those two um, – you know, to say Luis Robert, he's already there. Yeah. Right. But he's going to be one of those Ronald Acuna Juniors, Fernando Tatis, like that next generation of mega superstar. Right. Luis Robert fits right I, there. For sure. I I love the way the game's kind of – I love the way the game's kind of getting to these young players like Acuna and Tatis, like you mentioned, Robert, where they're just so, so captivating and exciting. It's like, in my opinion, it's the perfect thing. It's exactly what baseball needed to kind of get more relevant. I completely agree with you because, you know, it used to, I hate the unwritten rules. Don't flip your bat. Put your head down. Act like you've been there. Hey, man, it's enter freaking tainment. Yeah. And if Fernando Tatis wants to bat flip and I'm on the mound, well, next time when I strike you out, don't get mad when I pump my fists at you. Right. It's entertainment. Like, I've become friendly with Tim Anderson. Yeah. And I love Tim Anderson. And he said, I don't watch baseball because it's boring. <laughs> I play baseball. It's my living. But my goal is to get people to understand it's supposed to be fun. And when I hit a big home run and I fling my bat against the Royals, don't give me a dirty look. Don't hit the next guy in the ribs. That's just stupid. Mm. Just make a better pitch and then celebrate when you get me out. That's – I. Yeah, that's what I agree completely. Like we were saying, like I don't understand if you're the pitcher and a guy bat flips against you. Well, how about you don't throw a, like a meatball right down the heart of the plate? Like make a better pitch. Like yeah, on you. Totally agree. They're they're competitors, and in Tatis' situation with the Grand Slam against Texas, it's like this is a guy in the prime of his career, entering the prime, going for a home run title. You're telling him not to hit a fastball down the plate. Like that's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's just – it. look, there's just some stupid old-school rules. I remember getting into an argument with Bob Brenly, the old voice of the Cubs. Yeah. Good friend of mine. Kurt Schilling has a no-hitter going. It's 5 to nothing in the bottom of the eighth. It's not like it was 50 to nothing. And guy came up with two outs and laid a bunt down and beat it out and broke up his no-hitter. And Brenly ripped the guy and went to the postgame. That's BS. It's Bush League. And I said, Bob, if I'm on the other team, I don't want to be part of a no-hitter. I'll do whatever it takes right. to hit. I'm not just going to roll over. Yes. Yeah. But, but he's also from that, you know, old school. He's mid to late 60s, and you don't do that. And you act like you've been there, and you hand the ball to the referee when you score a touchdown. No, that's yeah. not what it is today. We're moving past that for sure. Speaking of Cubs announcers, though, how does J.D. compare Brenly's replacement in that kind of realm with old school versus new school? Uh, J.D.'s way more new school than yeah. Brenly. J.D. gets it. 
Uh, and I love Bob Brenly. I think he's great on the air. I think he's a really good dude. He just is that old school mentality. JD right. and Len have morphed into analytics and the new school. JD's hilarious too. Yeah, he's funny dude and a great yeah. person. Great. Person. Yeah, it seems like it. So going going a little more national with baseball right now. We were, we've been talking. I feel like the last couple of weeks about Mike Trout and how the Angels just can never seem to put a team around him. Do you think that? I mean. Do you think he's going to make the playoffs any time in the next couple of years? I feel like they, the Angels' front office just doesn't seem to know what they're doing. You think it'd be easy to bring people alongside Mike Trout, but they got to get pitching. I mean, they've got Anthony Rendon, they've got Mike Trout, they've got Joe Madden, so they paid to get a really good winning pedigree type manager. They have got to go get pitching. I mean. They unfortunately had a really good starter in Tyler Skaggs die. Yeah. Uh, you know, drafting and developing, you get three really good pitchers in your system and two of them blow their arm out. You're like, are you kidding? Yeah. Those guys were part of our future. So I do think they'll continue to spend money, but the pandemic has leveled the playing field. When you, you know, people scoff, oh, it's just a bad year in business, write it off. It's tough to write it off when you're losing north of $100 million. Right. Just, I knew you grew up a Cubs fan, I believe, and obviously have covered the Cubs a while. I'm assuming 2016 was your high point as a fan, but just through the years, what's been your low point? Obviously, you were around 2003, 2007, 2008. So, I was a beer vendor mm. at Wrigley until I got fired there. That's <laughs> That's true. I, I was a high school student. My brother and I started selling soda pop and then cotton candy to peanuts to eventually I'm 21. I get beer and you can make a lot of money in the summer at Ridley selling beer. And then in 1983, the White Sox get rolling with the slogan was winning ugly because the manager of the Rangers go, that's not that good a team. All they do is win ugly. And so we came up with a t-shirt and I had this idea because I had gone to school in Minnesota and the North Stars lost in the Stanley Cup Finals. They're now the Minnesota, I mean, the Dallas Stars. They used right. to be the Minnesota North Stars. Mm -hmm. And so the next year, their slogan was a hockey puck with a bite taken out of it with the juice running down the side like an apple. And it said, so close, we could taste it. Minnesota North Stars hockey. Well, now the White Sox are in first. I'm like, we're going to get somebody to draw a baseball with a bite taken out of it. Chicago White Sox, 1983, so close we could taste it. There you and go. We print them up, and we start selling them like they're going out of style. I mean, holy smokes. Sox end up losing in the playoffs. The next year, the Cubs are rolling. It's 1984. Yep. I print the shirt up, same exact shirt, except it says Chicago Cubs. Uh, we sell a freaking truckload of these shirts. They lose in the playoffs. 85, I come back with the same shirt, and Dallas Green, may he rest in peace, was the Cubs' general manager and president. He sees the shirt, and they, he said, where's this shirt from? So <laughs> that vendor right there printed him up with his brother. He has security <laughs> grabbed me, and he fires me for copyright infringement. Oh, that is insane. Yeah. So I get oh. fired as a vendor, and I needed that money back then. And yeah. that's great money. Like you said, it's tough working up the total. making here. Like 10000 a summer at each park, Wrigley wow. and Sox. Then Ooh. add in the T-shirts. Like I was making 
you know, for a young guy, I was making a lot of money. Right. Now he, he fires me. I still remember 1987. I get, I turn the news on. And they said, let's go out to Tribune Tower where the Cubs have a stunning announcement. And they fired Dallas Green. And my mom and I are high-fiving because he had fired me. And like almost 10 years later, I think it was eight years later, I'm hosting their freaking pregame show. <laughs> oh, man. It was like the ultimate take that. Yeah. So those are some of my memories. But I was on the air the night the Bartman play went down. Right. And I am doing the radio post game till 2 o'clock in the morning. But we had a hotline in our trailer outside Wrigley. And we go to commercial break. And my producer says, pick up the hotline. There's a listener who said he has to talk to you. So I pick up the phone. Yeah, this is David Kaplan. And he said, hey, man, I love your show. I said, well, I'm in the middle of doing my show. How can I help you? And I just want to let you know, we know his name. We have his address. He'll be dead by midnight. Oh, man. And I said, excuse me? He said, that guy ruined our lives. We're going to kill him. He'll be dead by midnight. And he was like, like dead serious, like not as dead serious as a heart. They put him in witness protection, didn't they, at one point? Yeah. They had security for him. So okay. I called the Chicago police. And they put me through to a detective. He said, we're already aware there are police guarding his house on his street. They were there for well over a week. And I thought, okay, it sucks. But if our shortstop fields a ground ball or Mark Pryor makes a better pitch. That was the real play. I can't believe people still overlook that. Like, it's you, have to win. you have to win the next game anyway. Correct. Yeah. And you had a, a lead the next day and you blew it. So yeah. I, I felt horrible for this kid, um, but I was there that night, and Michael Jordan was at the game. Mm -hmm. okay? The game ends. Everyone's in shock of what happened. Michael Jordan is standing in the lobby of Wrigley Field at the executive offices. Here comes the Fox broadcast crew. Al Leiter, Steve Lyons, Tom Brenneman, and their producer, who's like six foot five. Wow. They walk down and they look and they go, Michael Jordan? He said, yeah. He said, what are you doing? He goes, you guys been outside? There's 100,000 zombies out there. I'm not going out there. I'm not getting <laughs> killed. They're like, Michael, we have a car. It's seven blocks away because the streets are all closed off because everyone thought we were going to the World Series. Oh, so geez. people are out there. We'll surround you. Al Leiter, Steve Lyons, these were professional athletes. No one's going to mess with you. He goes, absolutely not. I am not going out there with 100,000 zombies. Someone's going to kill me. That's a right. true story. And so they had to get a police car to pull up on the sidewalk, get Michael in there, and get him out of there. Yeah. It That's was a, crazy. It was a crazy freaking night. And I'll never forget it. It was I sad. never knew Michael was at that game. I, like, haven't seen any pictures of that or anything. That's a true story. Michael Jordan was there, and it was just a, I mean, a crazy night. I was on the air till 2 o'clock in the morning. And then I went and did Good Morning America, had me on at like 6.30 in the morning. So I drive downtown. I do it from some studio. I tell, oh, relax. That kid's going to be fine because we're going to win tonight. Of course, we didn't win. Yeah. And 13 years later, we finally did. That was the coolest night of my sports fandom life. What, of course. What, was, what did it mean to you to finally – get that Cubs World Series? Because not only have you been a lifelong fan, but, like, you've been covering them the whole time, too. So you're even closer than the average fan would be. Like, how incredible – like, how would you just describe your feelings as soon as, you know, 
Chris Bryant threw that ball to Rizzo and the game's over. Okay, so I'm in Cleveland. My partner's Todd Hollinsworth, who played for, I think, seven major league teams. He's one of my best friends. And he and I are sitting together for every game of the World Series, whether it's at Wrigley, whether it's in Cleveland. We're at every game. And so we've got the lead. It's I think it was six to three after David Ross's home run. Yep. And we're going to the bottom of the eighth, and Holly and I are like, now we're starting – people know we're Cubs broadcasters. We got Cleveland fans yelling at us. He's like, dude, before we get ourselves in any trouble here, let's go outside to our set, and we can watch it. We have a monitor there. So we leave. at 6-3. to three. We're, I don't know, 150 feet away. We're standing on our set, and I'm pacing back and forth, back and forth. And Hollinsworth is mocking me. He's like, dude, relax. It's over. The game is over. We got to roll this Chapman. He throws 103 miles an hour. We're up six to three. This game and the series is over. Relax. Your dream is coming true. And I turned to him and I said, shut your effing mouth and don't speak to me till the game is over again. You don't know what we go (laughs) through. I said, you are a mercenary. You took our money. You played a year and a half here. You don't know what it's like to have a team rip your heart out. They could be up 100 to nothing with two outs in the ninth inning, and they're the only team in sports. There's no done deals. They could find a way to screw this whole thing up. I'm really, really pissed. And he's laughing at me. He thinks it's hilarious because it's over. Now there's a hit. Now there's a hit, and here comes guy in to score, Brandon Guy or a former Cub at six to four. Here comes Rajay Davis choking Mm -hmm. up six inches on the bat. And Holly's like, dude, it's Rajay Davis. He ain't taking the ball out of the ballpark. Relax. Boom. And I can hear. So our monitor is on a delay. Yeah. We don't see it yet. But I can hear the speaker on the side of the stadium that's like right there. And I hear swung on it, belted to deep left. And I'm like, gave me chills. He just tied it. Now he doesn't see it because he's looking at the monitor. And all of a sudden, all the fireworks go off and he finally turned to me goes oh god now i know what you're talking about now i get it i i literally felt like i was gonna throw up and i looked at the sky because my dad was deceased by this point and he's the one that got me into this business because he loved sports he was a lawyer but he wished he was doing what i do and i looked up i go really really it's gonna be that cruel huh Dad, it can't be that cruel. <laughs> and then finally we won, and I'm sitting on the set, and I remember in my ear, my producer's like, he sees it. I'm watching on the delay, but I hear the screaming from in the crowd, so I know we just won. And my producer in my ear's like, the Cubs just won the effing World Series. We're going on in five seconds. And I turned, I pointed at the sky to my dad, and I went, Dad, we did it. And boom, we did a four-hour post-game show. I don't remember any of that show. It was a single cool <laughs> real moment. moment of my sports life. That, that's absolutely insane. Yeah. I remember when Rajay Davis tied it, my heart dropped. My two roommates couldn't even look at me. They were afraid of me. I watched Chapman throw the scoreless ninth. And then I couldn't handle the game, so I turned my phone off, got my car, and drove around for 20 minutes, not knowing the rain delay happened. So I came back, asked my buddies to tell me what happened. They're like, you you didn't miss anything. It was a rain delay. And then Schwarber leads it off with a hit. So 
I'm again gain optimism, but I'm curious, like after Davis hit the homer for you, did you think the Cubs had any chance of still winning that game? I did because like, I'm a big person who don't trust your heart when it comes to a woman, when it comes to a bet you're going to make, don't trust your heart because your heart will lead you astray. Your gut, your gut, if you're really honest with yourself and you look in the mirror, your gut will rarely ever lie to you. If you're truly looking going, yeah, I don't think I should do that, but my heart's telling me I should, you're probably going to get burned. Right. And I truly believed that we were going to win that game. I spent that whole year writing a book called The Plan about, wow. and Theo gave me access and the Ricketts family. Like, I was all in, and I truly believed when they asked me to write the book in February about the season, I said, okay, just understand, we are winning the World Series this year. This was in February. And the guy said, you're guaranteeing that? I said, yeah. You want to put it in my contract? I promise you they're winning the World Series. I just (laughs) – I remember the 84 Bears losing to the 49ers in the NFC title game after this great run, just like the Cubs in 15, and they came back the next year on a mission and they won the Super Bowl. And I saw the exact same parallels. I'm like, dude – you don't have to pay me if they don't win the Super Bowl. I promise you, they're winning the World Series. So the whole night, like I got a text. It's still on my phone from Theo Epstein, the day of game seven. I texted him and just said, thanks for all the access. Good luck. He texted me back and said, thanks a lot. Enjoy tonight. We've got this. And I'm like, what? Theo Epstein just told me we've got this. Okay, I'm all in. We're good. I would have been all in, too. <laughs> I'm like, we're good. And I truly believed. And when he hit the home run, I got this wave of nausea, like, no way that just happened. No way. But I still believed. And then when Schwarber got the hit, and then Ben Zobris has two strikes, and he slaps one down the line, I'm like, it's over. We got That was it. the best moment ever. That debatably was the better moment than them actually winning it for me. Because the second Zobris hit that, man – Rizzo's reaction and everything. It was just magic. Yeah, the whole hands on the head. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing. I supported them going to get Chapman because it was, if not then, when, as Theo said. It was time. So they put a great prospect in the deal, Glaber Torres, who we'd love to have. But right. we don't win the World Series without a this Chapman. Yeah. But I also said, I hope that guy, because of, spousal abuse or firing a gun in the garage with his kids and his family there. I don't want the enduring lasting image. If they win the world series, that guy like this, after he struck somebody out or the he's on the mound, I want some like Montgomery and it worked (laughs) out. Karma is a bitch, man. It worked (laughs) out that we needed him to get there. But he was not the guy that was there when that game ended. The enduring image is Anthony Rizzo right there after yep. caught the ball from Chris Immediately Price. his arms go up. That was amazing. It was incredible. I'll never forget it. So thank you, Araldis, for helping us win. I'm glad you were not part of the final out. I love, I love watching that final out, too, because when you see Chris Bryant come up to take the grounder, he's got the biggest smile on his face. Like, yeah. Oh, God, it's over. Yeah, like and then that. Part was Joe Buck tried to make it seem like it was going to be close. Like that was pretty routine for Chris at the time. And then his foot slips. And Dexter Fowler told me, I, we, I interviewed him maybe four or five days later. 
He said, dude, from my spot in center field, when Chris's foot, he plants and it's wet because it had been raining. Oh, yeah. Slips, he's like, I see the ball going up. I'm like, oh, God, he just threw it over Rizzo's head. Uh-huh. And they just tied the game. But as Rizzo said, it went in my glove. That's all, That's that, all that matters. matters. All that matters. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, I mean, I guess I know this is a baseball podcast, and we I'm, your stories have been incredible. I mean, like so so much fun to hear about. We've had you on for a while. We got one last question, non baseball related, real quick though. The Bears just announced that Mitch Trubisky is going to be the starter for this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think he's he's going to have a solid year. I I'm curious to what your thoughts are on the issue. So. I'm a huge Mitch Trubisky guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit. I did a charity event with him for people that stutter. I'd interviewed him on the phone, but I had never met him. They call and ask if I'll emcee the event and interview him in front of the crowd. There's like 600 people there, all of whom either stutter or are family members of someone who has a severe stuttering problem. So they take me into this golf course and I'm in a back room with, it's just me and Mitch. And I introduced myself. I said, you've been on the radio with me, but we've never met. And the, all of a sudden, there's 50 people lined up to get a picture, jersey, stunt, whatever. And all of them, s- severe stuttering problem. Mm. And I remember sitting there watching this kid. I couldn't stand Jay Cutler. Couldn't stand him. Because he was horrible in situations like that. He wanted no part of the other part of being the Bears quarterback. Right. And unfortunately for Jay, when you're the quarterback of an NFL team, and especially the Giants, the Cowboys, the Patriots, the Bears, the Packers, like the, the, the real blue blood franchises, there is more than just – X's and O's. You have a responsibility to the community to be the face of your team. And I watched all these kids come in, miss, miss, and they can't get it out. They're terrified. They stutter, and they're terrified that they're in the presence of the quarterback of the Bears. And I watched this kid go, take a deep breath. I'm just Mitch, man. I put my pants on just like you do. Let's take a picture. Let's do this. It, it was amazing to watch. And he got done doing all of that. And I said to him, dude, where's that, where's that come from? Because we had a quarterback here before. He's like, look, I don't want to take a shot at anyone that came before me. I'm just telling you, when you sign up to be the quarterback of the Chicago Bears, this stuff matters. And if I yeah. can impact somebody's life that they leave tonight and go, I had an amazing opportunity. I got to meet the quarterback of the Bears, and he was cool as hell. And I thought, I want that guy to make it. Now, he was bad last year. No question. They also had a horrible offensive line, no tight end play, no second receiver, crappy play calling, a run game that didn't exist, and he was playing with a torn shoulder. I truly believe he's going to have a really good year. I believed he was going to win the job. If he doesn't play well and he loses his job, he'll go on to another franchise and be a career backup probably. Maybe he'll be Ryan Tannehill. I just see – more depth and more to this guy than other people who are already ready to write him off. That's yeah. that on Mitchell Trubisky. That's I agree. Cool. I mean, I feel like everything was working against him last year, especially Nagy kind of adjusting the offense not to suit his needs. So I, I agree with you. I think if things don't unfold as bad as possible, like last year, and everything's not working against him, Mitch should be in line for a better year. 
Yeah, I, look, if Mitch was picked in the 2015, 16, 18, 19, or 20 draft, nobody says a word. They're like, yeah, he's okay. But because they left Mahomes and Watson on the table, he's never going to be able to live that down. And again, right. if Ryan could go back in time, let's not forget that most scouting services had Mitchell Trubisky as the number one prospect. Yeah, right. Number one. ESPN Scouts Inc., go back and look. They had Patrick Mahomes as a non-first rounder. They questioned the system he came from. They had Trubisky, then the highest rated of the quarterbacks. Deshaun Watson second, Mahomes third. Now, again, you go back to draft night, yeah, only a blind man wouldn't take Patrick Mahomes. I get it. So he's never going to be able to live that down. I would just love for that kid to ball out this year. Mm-hmm. Bears win 11, 12 football games, play really well and make a run in the playoffs. And it would be the ultimate FU moment where, hey, man, that kid responded to adversity. It may sure. not happen, but I hope it does. I think, see, like you were bringing up, I think it's so unfair that they bring up Mahomes because of that draft, because any team that was in that situation was not going to pick Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. with that pick. It was either Watson or Trubisky, and that was it. I don't disagree, except I'll tell you this. Matt Nagy was the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. Yeah. He gets called in by Andy Reid during that season before the draft. And Andy says, okay, I need you to do a deep dive on Watson, Trubisky, Mahomes, and I need reports on all three. I want you to meet them. I want you to talk to them. I want you to break down every single throw, find out what they're like as a person, the whole deal. Go back to high school. Find out what these guys are like. Well, Matt's agent, Trace Armstrong, a former Bear, has those reports. I can tell you what those reports say. He said on Mitchell Trubisky, amazing kid, work ethic off the charts, can make all the throws, outstanding athlete, can extend plays with his feet, as raw prospect as I've seen, the ultimate project. That's Mitch. Deshaun Watson, winner, amazing kid, plays best in the biggest games, thin wrists, thin ankles, has already torn his ACL once. I would be leery that he can stay healthy but a great player. Mm. Patrick Mahomes, raw, coming out of an unproven system in the NFL. He is a generational talent, and do not miss him if you have to take him number one. Wow. That's so he story. knew. That's a true story. Wow. Man, that's, that's insane. I had, I've never heard yeah. that at all anyway. That's crazy. I didn't yep. know anyone predicted that. Well – Dave, we definitely could ramble on about football for all night, but we don't want to take too much of your time. So we will end it there. And again, really appreciate you joining us on Ducks on the Pond. You got it. Honor to be on with you guys. You have my number. Anytime you want me, I'm in. We'll be in touch when the Cubs win the World Series again this year. Bam. There we go. Thank you for listening to Ducks on the Pond, a part of the CDN Network. Follow Zedia Network at Zedia Network on Instagram and Twitter. And check out all their shows, including the Zedia Network's Football Gambling Show, debuting tomorrow.